other than remembering that Olympic gold medalist, you're thinking, my body hurts, I'm not good at this, I never thought I would be in the Olympics, I just like gymnastics and want to do something that's fun, you could start to think, that's them, this is me, and, and I'm going to give up. But, but in that same moment, you could have the same thought to be like, I'll never be that, but, but man, it was so amazing that right now I'm discouraged and I just want to keep going, and if I keep going, I will never you know, be on that pedestal getting a gold medal. But if I could sort of compete in the local thing and have my family be impressed with me or whatever it is, ah, then it's worth trying to see if I could hit six seconds on this handstand. So we're looking at this picture of Christian community. Um, what it should do is remind us of what is possible, where the gospel is at work, and, and what we can have. And so along the way, we find ourselves thinking, it would be nice to be in the first century with that initial crowd. Keep reading the book of Acts. This is not utopia. It's not that everything was fulfilled. This crowd um, was dispersed because of persecution. They got frustrated because of unfairness in how they were distributing uh, things to the widows. Uh, this is a real community, but it's a community at its best. And the church is moving in this direction through sanctification. We one day will be gathered uh, in this kind of thing. And so right now we're kind of doing the, the handstands, the practices, and Sometimes we're rejoicing and sometimes we're, we're discouraged. Um, but as a community, we're going to keep doing these five things. So what are the five things? <laughs> uh, I will get to them in a minute, but I want to talk about the context for this conversation. Then I want to talk about the practices, the specific five things. Then I want to talk about the purpose, why those five things are beneficial to us. So I want to begin with the context just to say something about the passage because the, the main thing I'm talking about today is what is it that we do as individuals and together as a community? But it is always important to remember that before we do anything, God has acted before us. God is always the initiator. God is the one, and that's what sustains us. Uh, and so when you look at this passage, that's what we find, that we see what the church is doing, but even in this brief passage, there's the evidences of God's work, even though the immediate passage makes clear God did something remarkable in, in pouring out the Spirit with these signs. But you can see it at the, uh, the, the very end of it, in, at the last part of verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day. So this is a picture of God at work. God is gathering a community. He's calling people. He's showing them things. He's welcoming them. He's connecting people. It's the Lord who is adding to the number. And you can see this Godward focus that makes sure that these practices are not just about human community and friendship or human compassion. That's there, but it's there in its fullness because it has a deeper um, connecting. And, and so if God is the one doing this work, if God is teaching and showing them, we find that at the beginning of verse 47, it says they're praising God. So the Lord is adding to the number, but what are they doing? They're caught up with joy. They are seeing God's goodness, and they are expressing it naturally. In verse 43, it says, awe came upon every soul. So why are they doing what they're doing? Because they believe it's right? They're doing it because God is doing a work that is causing them to, to see something so much better than what we normally see. That awe is, is the word that's characterizing it. And then verse 43 goes on to say, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So this is also a unique moment. God's power 
is being demonstrated in a way that rarely happens. You know, you read through the Bible and in the days of Moses, there are these miracles. In the days of Elijah, there are these miracles. And in the days of Jesus, it's not that nothing miraculous ever happened elsewhere, but really the miracles are concentrated in particular periods. Now, Jesus has done so much and now his powerful works are continuing specifically through the apostles. And so everyone there is seeing the power of God in a way that we normally don't and they're filled with awe, they're rejoicing, and that's the foundation. And so what, what kind of actions? And so here's just one example of how they lived so differently than normal human instinct. Now, God has made all of us to be upright and to live well, and everyone, no matter what their beliefs are, have instincts in them to do good things. The problem is all of us, no matter our beliefs, also have instincts to do terrible, selfish things, and, and in the end, they can... Uh, win out. Um, so for example, human beings will often say, uh, I want so much for myself that I'm willing to take from others. Most of us have a conscience to say theft is clear, but how many times in subtle ways in our relationships, in how we organize our businesses, in our political positions, whatever the case, is there really an underlying, I want more for me and I'm willing to take from others. Um, Imagine a world where people were different. So here the Lord is powerfully working. He's showing his grace. Good news is announced. In verse 44, you know, here they are. They're in awe. They're praising God. It's a worshiping community. Verse 44, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has had need. Um, it's not that human beings never do that. We live in a city where people are generous. There's lots of nonprofits. They're not all religious. That instinct is in all of us. Um, but, you know, when it gets announced that we might have to be under lockdown, we might buy two years' worth of toilet paper and not worry about our neighbor. Small, subtle things that at the end of the day, um, these instincts don't always come out in the same way. There was this radical generosity where they were set free to be like, you know what, these things that I have are not so essential that if others are suffering, I'm not willing to, to give them away. It was done in joy. It wasn't out of guilt, anything like that. It's this moment of of the best of humanity to a certain degree being pictured. Why? Because they see the goodness of God. And that shapes them so that they live differently. So I'm just giving that one example. That's not one of the five practices, but, but it flows from one of them. I'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, but as we think about this, you know, the last two years have been particularly challenging in that life is just hard for everyone. Our systems don't work, and therefore uh, we're feeling that breakdown um, in various ways. And it could feel a little bit when, when we talk about these practices now that we're not doing them naturally because we're overwhelmed with joy. Although I'm sure all of us could say there's probably been something in the last year or two where we've had that moment. God is kind to us. But it's more like when you go to the New York Philharmonic and you are so inspired and then you come back the next day but you just need to spend 15 minutes in scales. And it's kind of like... You know, I'd like to be there at that concert, but to get there, I need to do this work. Uh, yeah, this is a great moment, but Zoom church, <laughs> um, being masked, there is a certain aspect that we just need to keep doing what we should be doing. And in that sense, what I want to encourage is uh, we want this vibrancy. We want this joy. But it's not just our circumstances, it's, it's the, way, uh, the way our brain chemistry is for some of us, the way some of us have just been formed. We're not always on fire, excited, filled with joy. And yet we are still to engage these practices and it's, it's kind of like if you're sick, 
you're not feeling well and really sick and you just don't even want to get out of bed, but, but after a certain time you need to eat, you need to take a shower, there are things you just need to do whether or not you're feeling it. In our idealism, sometimes with Christianity, because we don't want to be hypocrites, Jesus is very clear, don't just go through the motions, don't think that these practices are, are going to earn your favor, it can feel inauthentic to be, I'm tired, I don't want to go to church, I would rather read anything but the Bible. It, it, there's a guilt factor to feel like, but I'm still going to do it. And what I want to encourage you is, if you're sick, you're still alive, and so you still need to eat, and you still need to wash. Um, if you are feeling spiritually dry, now, when you go through seasons, is it possible you're still spiritually alive? So if you're sick and you feel like, I can't think, I can't get out of bed, but your heart is beating and you're breathing, <laughs> then eat, take care of yourself. Um, if you consider yourself a Christian, but you're, you're not overwhelmed with joy, the question is, are you spiritually alive? And, and there are these basics, <laughs> the heartbeat and, and the breathing. Do you know that it's true, that, that God is gracious, that Jesus has done something on your behalf? Hold to that, stick to it. It's not hypocritical to read the Bible despite the fact that you don't want to. It's, it's wise to say, if I know that that's true, I'm going to believe that I'm spiritually alive and I'm going to pray honestly, Lord, I don't feel like praying, Lord, help me in my heart. But on this, I want to encourage or warn about two different things. One is the trap of emotionalism. Now, emotions are not a problem. God has wired us um, but we feel differently. So sometimes you hear one Christian who feels things that you just never feel, and you think, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe. Um, but maybe I experience Christianity differently. We have to be very careful here. Um, the issue is not with emotion, because we're not meant to be completely dead. We're not meant to be completely dry. We are human beings. We're meant to be filled with joy. What I'm talking about with emotionalism is the sense that right now, if I'm not feeling anything, that lack of feeling is so problematic. I need to do all that I can to reinvigorate the feeling. Now, yes, don't settle for being dry, <laughs> but also recognize there are times and seasons, and there's our brain chemistry and our gut health, and there are circumstances, and there's just, you know, whatever it is. Um, the practice of trying to work yourself up helps in the moment, but is not sustainable for years if you feel like, I only know I'm right with God unless I'm experiencing God in this particular way. It's hard over the course of 10 or 20 years to always feel that. So we have to, we have, to have a sufficient theology to say I could be alive by the grace of God. I could be in his favor because of what he's done. And I could also feel disconnected from it and be concerned about that. And, um, and I'm not just going to try tricks to deal with it. So, th so when I'm talking about emotionalism, I'm just talking about dragging ourselves through trying to work up emotion. But I do want to warn us about apathy, which is to say that we don't want to say it's okay to feel nothing, to just go through the motions. The goal is not to keep the rules. The goal is to walk with God. I'm going to say more about that at the end of the sermon. But if you're finding, actually, for a period of six months or a year, I'd have no interest, I'm not feeling anything, um, try to address it. Share it with your home group. Um, come and speak to me or one of the elders. Talk with a Christian friend. Have people pray for you. And, and then just be watchful. Maybe there's some way God will show you kindness. Maybe you're the kind of person who's not going to be happy all the time, but you will be the kind of person that has moments where you see 
God is good. <laughs> I feel it. I know it's true. And so, so we're trying to walk faithfully in the fullness of who we are, recognizing the world is broken, we're broken. We do not live in the day of Pentecost. One day we will live in something that has that kind of fullness. Right now, um, let's keep seeking God. So now I'm going to move from here um, into the practices. So I wanted to give the context for the passage um, where we're seeing the practices, but the practices, I believe, are meant for all times and all places. So I'm going to walk through the five practices now. I want to begin with verse 42, simply where it says, they devoted themselves. And so that's the indication. When the Spirit of God comes, when people are seeing God's power, when they are feel, feeling free and joyful, what do they devote themselves to? What are their priorities? That's what we're talking about. Five things. First is the word. That's, um, so now if you've been part of Emmanuel, you've heard this awkward uh, word that we have, which is fwapsum. Awkward because normal people have words with vowels. Uh, this is a, a memory device. And so uh, fellowship, the word, prayer, sacraments, mission, fwapsum is just how we remember the five and, and try to remember them. Now, they're ordered differently in the book of Acts. But the word, the W, which is it, for us is not worship. Worship is very important. Uh, the word prayer, sacraments, that is worship. So worship is in there. Uh, but the word, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, uh, Jesus called the apostles, filled them with the Spirit in a unique way. You could read about this in the Gospels, to be his witnesses, to announce his message, to organize the early church. What was the nature of the apostles' teaching? So if you were to go back to the beginning of chapter 2, Peter, one of the chief apostles, gives a sermon on the day of Pentecost. And what does he do? He teaches the Bible. Now, the Bible at this moment was what we Christians call the Old Testament, the New Testament comes in the upcoming years of from where we've read where the apostles are writing down their thoughts or sharing them with their colleagues and by the Spirit the New Testament is coming together so the Christian Bible we have is one complete book. Um, but at this point, they taught the Bible which were the Hebrew Scriptures. And so Peter's sermon in Acts 2 before this was, look what is written, look what is written and look how it anticipates the work of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and I'm proclaiming to you Jesus has died on our behalf, he's been raised, and now all the fullness of God in the time of his favor has come, and the scriptures have been fulfilled. That's what the apostles were teaching, and then you go and you look throughout the book of Acts where there are models of the apostles teaching from the Bible, how it's fulfilled in Jesus, and so that's still our model. Now we have the New Testament that shares the story, gives us all the information that they had, and that's how we read the whole Bible. Uh, what does human need? Who is God? How has, what is God's plan? And how is it fulfilled climactically in Jesus? What has he done? What are the implications for us? That's the teaching of the apostles. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We are devoted to the apostles' teaching. So we're reading scripture now. We're reflecting on it. We want to learn from God's appointed servants, messengers, the prophets and apostles. Um, who is God? What has he done? What does he want us to believe? we devote ourselves to that. So every Sunday, we read the Bible, we think about it. In our home groups, we gather for, around the Word. Uh, so the Word is one of those essential practices for all time, foundational. The second one listed here uh, in the order of things is fellowship. So moving forward in, in verse 42, 
They were devoting themselves to fellowship. Uh, now, um, a lot of churches will use the word community because it's just a clearer word. It doesn't sound as religious. And I think community is really the essence of this. At Emmanuel, we still call our midweek group fellowship groups. I'd be fine to change the term. But the one thing about fellowship, besides making clear that we're trying to anchor it in this passage, look, we call it the Bible. We don't call it the apostles' teachings. We could, we could change the words. But the Greek word koinonia, talking about fellowship, implies a lot in its context, which is friendship, community, but there's also an aspect of sharing in this term that, that, that really helps us understand the nature of Christian fellowship, which is, it's not just that we're lonely and we need friends. It's not just that it's hard to be an individual and we need support, but there's something about aiming to deepen a connection between human beings that now in a spiritually connected community is meant to translate to where we, we treat each other as a family. So somebody in the church that we have no obligation to but is going through a really hard time will share our resources with them. Uh, that's kind of a picture of where, humanly speaking, I have no obligation to that person, but there's a, a new humanity where that fellowship involves sharing. And so in verse 43, it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, which is why we're communists. I know some of you are like, oh boy, did the Bible teach that? Um, they did not have the government tax them and redistribute their goods. But on the other hand, they didn't hold on to them. There's something different here than the ways we form governments. And so anyway, how do we apply this? Let's take some time to think about that. But, but the organic reality of what the Spirit has did is to say there, there's an us. We share. We share our lives, we share our things, we share our time, we share our joys and our burdens. So if I'm not doing well, I'm gonna rejoice and not be bitter that things are going well for you. If I'm doing well and you're not, I'm not gonna ignore you or gloat, but I'm gonna care. And that's that sharing that's part of fellowship. The word fellowship now, sacraments. So just moving forward in verse 42. Now, the word sacrament uh, alludes to something sacred. What, there are two particular practice, practices Jesus gives us that are set apart for a unique purpose. They're baptism and the Lord's Supper. So in the immediate verses that were not read, we see the importance of baptism. So Peter makes this speech, and the people hearing it say, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, all of you. So baptism, where we pour water or we immerse people in water, is a sign of the pouring out of God's spirit, the cleansing from sin, the connection to Jesus and the welcome into the community. So that's not in the specific passage, but when we talk about sacraments, um, you know, here it talks about the believers having all things in common. What, are the, what marks this new community? These are the community of the baptized. And we know that just from verses earlier, we just didn't read those, those verses. But in this passage, uh, it, it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, lots of communities do this. We get together and we eat. Um, is there not something more human than to gather with people that you like to share food? So they were breaking bread. To a certain degree, it's that simple. They had a common life where they ate together and they encouraged one another like a family. The reason that we would say... Um, this is not just going out to dinner with your friends, even if the greatest restaurant was the temple. 
which is where they seem to be gathering a lot of the time, which, to be clear, was not a restaurant. Um, if you go forward in the book of Acts, so for instance, in, in chapter 20, in verse 7, it says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered to break bread, and then it goes on to tell that story, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose, the Lord's day, the day the church gathered. We're here on a Sunday, it's the first day of the week. Today is the day we gather to break bread. And yes, go out to lunch afterwards. Today we're gonna have a meal here because of our congregational meeting, but, but our practice, yes, let's have bagels, let's have whatever. But when we gather to break bread, there's a particular bread we're breaking. And that's what we do weekly as a church. Not all churches do it weekly, that's okay, you make different decisions. But our understanding is, is the regular fellowship gathering where we read the word is a gathering where the baptized in particular break bread and remember Christ who's the center of our community. And so Jesus commanded us in Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations, baptize them and teach them. He commanded the disciples at the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me. So it's those commands where he says to the community, baptize, do this in the breaking of bread, that we say that those are practices set aside. So there's a sacredness to, we're not just pouring water, but we're pouring water that, that by God's presence means and does something. We're breaking bread, not just because we're hungry, but because God's blessing and presence and command, uh, we believe he's actually feeding, he's strengthening us. So. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Uh, that, in, I think, uh, has its focus here. We'll talk more about it, because each week from here on, we're gonna go through each of the practices, uh, so I will say more about that for any of you who need convincing. Uh, the next, the fourth practice is prayer. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the prayers. Now, certainly the practice here was that they were gathering to the t at the temple where there were set times, and so they continued going on uh, to set times of prayer. Um, but it's clear that if you read through the book of Acts that there were prayer meetings, this upper room that they're in, uh, these various gatherings. Prayer is just an ordinary practice of the Christian life. And on the one hand, in the word, God speaks to us. In prayer, we speak to God. That's a generalization, because we do pray God's word. And in prayer, sometimes God shows us things. Um, but prayer is remarkable. Christians pray in Jesus' name, not as a formula. Most of us typically close our prayer in Jesus' name. You don't have to, it's not required. But it's a good habit because it reminds us that, that through Jesus we have access to God. It's with him that we're praying, that, that we're now saying we want to learn about what God cares about, to change our hearts, to make uh, us care about those things and therefore to do the work of intercession. But we believe that God cares about us. How do we know? Because he sent Jesus and, and Jesus joining with us, inviting us to join with him. We now speak, sometimes verbally as we do together out loud, sometimes in our hearts silently is probably more typical uh, for us as individuals. But we have the ear of the creator of the heavens and the earth. That is remarkable. God cares enough to to want to know what we're thinking, to partner with us so that we would speak about what concerns us. We would wrestle through what we're thinking about with God, speaking, listening. In Jesus' name, it means that because of Christ, uh, we have confidence to boldly approach that throne of grace. And so let's not neglect it. You don't feel like praying, you're embarrassed about it, you're just not drawn to it, but that practice is there, we're invited, it's a privilege. Let's be persistent in it. Now, the last practice is not listed among the four. Uh, 
And so what they explicitly devoted themselves to was the word, the fellowship, the sacraments, and prayer. But in Emmanuel, we talk about mission. And you see it here in this passage. In verse 47, the Lord added to their number. And you see it in the whole book of Acts, that what was the community that sought the apostles' teaching, that were in fellowship, that broke bread and prayed? What did they do? Well, they were sent out into the world. And so that practice is also uh, an ordinary outworking. And, and in Emmanuel, we feel it's important to, to push against the, the self-centered inclination that's in all of us, which is to say, what can God do for me? How can I be growing? And again, it's not selfish to, to have those desires, but we could easily get stuck thinking it's only that. And one of the things we recognize is if, if the whole of life is meant to serve me, we're not gonna thrive. And so all of these practices are, are beneficial. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And that concept of being sent reminds us of all that God has done for me is not just for me. It's for others. It's to go out into the world. And, and the two typical mission tasks that we see in the book of Acts, in the teaching of Jesus, are evangelism and care of those who are poor or suffering. And so those two are very clear. In the book of Acts, that's what the church is doing. They're reaching out. They're welcoming people into care for their needs. In, in the case of Acts, there's widows, but there are others. And in the task of evangelism, which is not us who are right, trying to win an argument with those who are wrong, it's those of us who have understood the grace of God, hoping the Lord will add to our number and welcome people into the family, that others would have this jo joy and awe. So we go out, sent into the world to live faithfully. Now, the mission of the church has so much more as we think about how do we do our work to the glory of God? How can we have relationships to the glory of God? So there are all sorts of outward facing things that are essential. And if we talked about what is our mission, there's all sorts of things. But again, for us to try to make sure that we don't um, drop the majors and, and become focused on the minors, we wanna make sure we're intentional as a church to respond to practical needs and to announce good news and to welcome people. So that mission is part of the, the book of Acts. Now, one of the things that we would say, so for us as a church, we're trying to make sure how do we plan our priorities with these foundations, what decisions are we making? Um, but even for you as an individual, what is it uh, that you need spiritually? You need all five of these things, but that doesn't mean you need 20% of each at all times. So there's a, a bit of rebalancing of things. And so like an investor who says, you know, given the current inflation and given uh, problems with, with production, I might want to um, move out of, of uh, tech stocks and, and pick up bonds. Um, you know, this idea of everything that's supposed to be there, we're, we're rebalancing. In the Christian life, all five of these need to be there. There are certain times that you might realize this is a time that I need to focus more on one of these. I'm having a tough time and I need to really to be in fellowship. Um, or I'm, I'm really needing to grow in Christianity, so I'm really going to need to study the word. So you don't do only one of them. You do all five of them, but sometimes there is a rebalancing and you have to navigate that. As a church, we have to do that. So during COVID, you know, one of the most naturally fun things for us is in the category of fellowship where it's, you know, in a busy city, it's nice to have friends. It's nice to see people. It's nice to do things with others. Um, COVID made 
any kind of fellowship really difficult. And, you know, especially in the beginning, just stay home. And as a church, we chose Zoom as our platform rather than streaming our services. And there are various reasons that you could make different choices, but, but part of it was um, we're not just here to have a good teaching, but we're, we want to stay together and Zoom is not the same as being here, but at least we're seeing each other, we're hearing our voices in the service, and there's a sense in which right now we can't do everything we want, but we're not going to give up on fellowship. It's, this is, I mean, especially two months in where everything was on Zoom, it's another Zoom meeting. This is not exciting, but we're saying fellowship is important, we're just going to keep doing it. But one of the things I said at the time was maybe this is a time to focus on prayer and the word. That commute that you used to have um, for which you couldn't study the word, um, now you don't have that commute. That buys you a little bit more time. So maybe this is a time to study the word. And I said that and somebody contacted me and said, I used to study the word during my commute. Now I wake up and I don't commute. All right. So we need to figure this out. What are our priorities here? But one of the things that we said is if, 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 if the fellowship and sacraments can't be as ordinary... Let's really focus on prayer. Let's focus on the word. But then, so fellowship, we tried to do it via Zoom. The sacraments, we said, you know what, we're not going to have communion every week, but we are going to go to the park. So parks all over the city, Central Park, Morningside, Riverside, the courtyard of somebody's apartment building in Washington Heights. Uh, I forget the park there on um, 127th Street, uh, the name of it, but we gathered there. Um, we still said, look, there's a bit of risk here. We're going to try to do as Our understanding is outdoors is safer. We'll be outdoors masked. I tried to figure out how to put on rubber gloves and, and make things as safe as possible. There's a little bit of risk here, but we think that we're doing things safely enough to say if, if gathering to break bread is important, let's try it. Let's do what we can. And so, so we tried. And being in the park, there's something about it that was wonderful and glorious, but I was trying to give my five-minute sermon while the the 10 guys in their motorcycles were riding by doing wheelies. It wasn't easy, but we're saying these five, like, let's keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're trying. And so in your own Christian life, maybe you do an evaluation every two to three months. How am I doing in these five areas? Um, and it could be one of these, may, one or two of them may be so natural to you that you just love it. And I would say lean on that strength. If you just love studying the Bible and it just excites you, keep doing that. Don't drop it to do the thing that you're weak in. Keep doing that. Um, but then what are the things that are hard or just not interesting? You just don't have background in it. Um, be intentional to try to grow. It doesn't need to be the major thing, but for, you know, if you grew up in a church where the sacraments weren't important and you're coming here, every week we're doing communion, say, oh, let me try to, how is this meant to shape me? Let me learn about that. Maybe you're a bit shy about event. You're happy to pray, but going out and talking to people, um, well, pray for courage and try it. You don't need to be the evangelist if you're not gifted there, but... Um, but have some missional aspect of your life. And so, so if any one of these is not in your Christian life, we believe it's going to stunt your growth. So all of them need to be present in some way, not evenly. You don't need to be great at them all. You don't need to love them all. But be intentional. This is what the church has always done. Make sure that you're doing it. Now, I'm going to move into the last part, the purpose. So we talked about the context, the practices, why these five practices. And just one answer to that is at the end of verse 47 that the Lord is adding to the number those who are being saved. Now, saved is a good word. Uh, you know, some of us have hang-ups. I'm one of those that, you know, uh, as a non-Christian, counter these evangelicals, are you saved? And so when I hear the word saved, it's still kind of an alarming word. 
uh, it's actually a good word, <laughs> um, it highlights that it's not simply that we're lacking a fullness, because because here there's a picture of fullness. You know, are you lonely? There's a better community. Um, you know, do you think nobody cares about you? Pray, God cares about you. There, there's a fullness that we're lacking. But there's also an assumed danger, which is to say that if we're not walking with God, if God's presence is not here, if, if we're not being shaped by this community, these practices, these ways, it's not simply that it's not life-giving, but it, it's, it's going to be destroying, it's going to be killing us. And so there, there's a sense in which what was natural in these days is, is, is a, a clear seeing the goodness and kindness of God, his mercy, his promises. Some of us are struggling to see that and, and to see why the good news is good. But it's good because God is a God who he saves. He's a God who sees uh, the things that we are not doing that we should be doing for our own good, that we're not seeking God, we're not honoring him. And yet, despite that, he makes a way possible. He invites us, he gives us an alternative. And it's that that language of salvation, of, of in our dying, in our suffering, in our troubles in the world, God is calling us to this kind of thing that one day we'll experience this fullness. And then so what we find out is that each of these practices, um, as the scriptures are fulfilled in Jesus, that, that was the announcement of the, the Bible, each of these practices, um, the purpose is to, to help us remain connected with Jesus so that his life is growing in us. So we have the word that bears witness to him. It reminds us of his plan. It reminds us of that essential paradigm, his suffering and his exaltation. That's the pattern. So, so the study of the word is meant to help us in our suffering to know that Jesus is with us. It's meant to help us in our joy to know that it's God's blessing and that in our suffering we know that there's joy and in our joy we are careful um, but the, the word helps remind us of Jesus and his coming and his fulfillment. Um, and so we read the word to have fellowship with him, to listen to him, to learn of him. Uh, the fellowship that Jesus gives us, uh, where we're a community that shares, we know that he who was rich became poor for our sakes. And so there's a sense in which uh, the fellowship comes out of this is who Jesus is, what he did for us. And so we're going to start doing that. Our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. We had no right to ask God of anything, but now Jesus has done something, so we can. And so we do. The sacraments, remember. That, that remember your baptism, whether or not you were infant when it happened, or, or you don't have a clear memory of it, but remember that you are now by God's grace in the church if you're baptized. And remember in the breaking of bread, if you have any doubt that God loves you, this is what Jesus did. He gave himself for you. This being saved is of great cost to him. And that mission, as the Father has sent us, so he sends, uh, as the Father sent me, Jesus says, so I am sending you. There's a going back out into the world, ready to live differently. Um, and so uh, this question about being saved, you know, for if you're not a Christian, that's part of the Christian message, is not simply come and join the church, but come and experience the, the salvation of God, the forgiveness, the, the mercy, the kindness, the life. Um, so these practices are what you would do, and the practices will help you, but they'll help you in that. So look, if you're not a Christian and you come to our church, people will be kind to you. You, you can form friendships here. There's no problem with that. But the friendships deepen as we're encouraging one another in that faith. And so that would be, before you do these practices, the invitation is these practices help you grow spiritually. So do that. For those of us who are Christian, we are being 
saved. There's a, a process here that God is working his salvation out in us. And <clears throat> sometimes it feels like you're trying to stand on your hands for five seconds and you fall and it hurts. Um, but God's salvation is working in us, in the ups and downs. And so we are a community who is being saved, God's redemptive work in us. You know, as a pastor, I have various conversations with people. And one that I've heard a lot over the years is about uh, one uh, kind of narrative I've heard is from Christians who lived a Christian life and then went through a period where they, they walked away in some way. In some cases, they stopped believing, but in some cases, they just stopped doing these practices. You know, it could be rather than going to church, I'll just read the Bible on my own. And now rather than be reading the Bible, I'll read a, a book about the Bible. And rather than being reading a book about the Bible, I'll read something else. And just over time where people have said, I, I wound up moving away. And some of the stories that I've heard are, and in that I started to make choices and I started to find all sorts of problematic things. And, and then the Lord called me back. And it was life-giving. It, it helped me understand that I, I, it, it, for some people have said, I, I would never do that again. I've, I've now seen the alternative. And I could think of one particular individual who has been gone such a long time. I don't know that any of you would know him. Uh, but he came to, to do graduate work at Columbia. And he, he grew up in a solid Christian family, was committed. And, and his thought was, I'm going to be here for a short enough time that to make the most of it, I'm going to focus on on my particular academic task. And I'm just not gonna make the church a priority. That was his thinking. In his particular story, um, he started to make some bad choices and then realized he needed help and he didn't have anyone close enough to him to help out. I don't remember how. Somehow he connected with us at a time that he was in a really tough place. And it was you know, one of these moments that our imperfect church, just uh, people responded, they loved him in a way that I remember before he moved away, because he wasn't here a long time, before he moved away, he said, one of the things that I've learned is wherever I go next, my first priority is to plug into a church. It's not that the church is perfect. It's not that we're always the Acts 2 community. But he realized, I need fellowship. <laughs> I need the sacraments. I need the word. I need prayer and help in these things. I need to be living for the fullness of the Christian life. That is one example. We experience things differently. I've heard that story enough just to encourage you don't neglect these practices. They're not automatic, but when the Spirit is at work, the, the main foundation, the grace of God, if your purpose is to grow in that, as you do these things, you'll see that, that God works in the midst of them. So let's keep doing them as a church. Let me pray. Our Father, um, we as a church desire to, to do these things and to do more. Uh, we as individuals maybe long for the satisfaction of, of the kinds of things we're reading where there's awe and there's joy and there's purpose and there's freedom. Lord, we're gathering today as the real church, the imperfect church, uh, real struggling people. And so Lord, we, we acknowledge in this that um, uh, in our hearts we're not honoring you as we should. We don't believe with the great depth. Lord, we want to be a living church. We want to be filled with living people. And so, Lord, it's a work of grace. You tell us to pray according to your will. We pray that you'd refresh us, that you'd renew our hearts and minds. Give us grace and favor. May there be joy. And may we do these things, not simply because we know they're right, but because they're life-giving. And the way we do them gives life to each other. And that our existence here will give life to our neighbors, our friends, our families, um, our colleagues. 
Lord, help us. We appeal to you for this. And as we continue over the upcoming weeks to, to unpack these practices, show us how to improve uh, the nature of our Christian lives. And for those who are new to Christianity or not Christian, Lord, teach them, show them. And may they experience grace and favor, we pray in his name. Amen.